0: hey, these, these next two weeks are going to be such an important part of our, our, our church. One is like what Vanessa was saying for uh, Oktoberfest and, and uh, creating a safe place for kids to come and have fun. And uh, and then it's going to be a great opportunity for us just to meet our neighbors. We're, we're a part of a neighborhood now. Uh, we're a neighborhood church and we want to be good neighbors and, and that's going to be part of that journey for us. But then the, the week after, November 5th, uh, that service is, is going to be a very uniquely designed service. We're going to be in here together for an hour from five until six, and there's going to be prayer stations that are set up, and there's going to be a uh, extended time of worship, and then we're going to guide you through that. But there's going to be different stations that you can go to and, and pray. Uh, part of that time of prayer is because it's going to be the film that we're going to watch together that night, but also because of the election that's coming up and just, just praying for God's grace and mercy uh, over our nation. And so so the that night for November 5th, we're going to have that service together from 5 to 6, and then we're doing a dinner in the fellowship hall to raise money for established footsteps. Many of you know Marvin and Sharon Thomas. That's the missions organization, that they run, and so I think it's like $5 a head, $25 a family, and, uh, but you might choose to give more than that to help uh, raise money for them. So we're going to have a meal together, and then we're going to be back in here uh, to start the movie right around 7. It's just about 50-some minutes long. And, uh, and we're going to watch that together, and then we're going to talk about it with each other. So we just want to put that on your radar, that Saturday night, November 5th, you just want to plan for a little bit longer of an evening together uh, than, than your, the uh, normal 90 minutes that we, uh, that we do with each other. So, Father, as we enter into this series, Race and Politics, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts. That, that we would be the, the transcendent people that you call us to be as devoted followers of Christ. Not to be drawn into the conflict, but to be the peacemaker of the conflict. To, to, to be the one that's able to transcend uh, above the noise and to take people with us into a place of harmony that we believe is possible. We believe is possible through your word. In Christ's name, come on and everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm not going to get through all of this uh, message tonight, and so we'll do part one of it tonight. I'll decide whether or not I'm going to uh, blog the rest of it this week. If I do, I'll post that or whether or not I push it uh, onto the, 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 the second half of this into the, uh, the week after uh, November 5th. So, um, but just as I, I usually find myself in here on Friday afternoons, praying through my message and just praying for the, 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 the service, and as, especially for this week, oftentimes if it's a new uh, series that's launching on all three campuses, it's praying for Suffolk, it's praying for Williamsburg, and, uh, and so as I was in here walking around, I noticed that on this pew right here where we sit every week was this really cool hat. It was a snap-back flat cap, if you don't know what that is, you're old like me, and I only know because I have teenage sons, right? But there was a snapback flat cap, and it was it was black in color, and then it had this really hipster font on it that said fly right across the, the front of it. And I thought to myself, I bet somebody left that there for me. Yeah. I mean, it's there in my seat, and right there. And then I just felt the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. No, they did not. Right? I share that with you because sometimes the way we think we look is not how we actually appear to the rest of the world. You with me? Sometimes the way we think we look is not how we actually appear to the rest of the world. Now, I could have tried that hat on and thought to myself, I look good in this hat. But the rest of the world would have had a very different opinion if I had worn that, right? Sometimes the way we sound is not how the rest of the world hears us. Sometimes the way we sound, the way we think we sound, is not how the rest of the world hears us. This is a huge part of this series that we're going to be walking through together. It's you and I being willing for the self-awareness that we're desperate to have to get a little bit better in our lives. And sometimes it means that we've got to be willing to listen to what other people are telling us that we sound like, even if it's hard for us to believe it. We need the people that are around us to be honest with us about how we actually sound to the rest of the world, no matter how we think we sound when we hear ourselves. Jesus has always called his church to be a force for change, especially in the fight against racial and political hostility. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will fail. I love how this series, Race in Politics, is coming right on the heels of our series, Stranger Things, where here at the Newport News Campus, we talked about how desperate we are for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. Let me share some verses with you. This comes out of Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, and beginning verse, in, in verse 16, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, no, seven things he detests. And this is a, 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 a poetic technique to bring emphasis to the seventh one. So when you see a listen in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, and it, and it says there are six things, no seven, or there's nine things, no ten, it, it's, 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 it's a way... For us to understand that the thing at the end of the list is worse than all the other things in the list. And when we see that, it should cause us to think, I wonder what the last one's going to be. Because when you hear these six, I don't know about you, but I think, what can be worse than that? But we know that there is sixth thing he hates. No, seven things he detests. Here it comes. Haughty eyes, which is pride. A lying tongue. Hands that kill innocent blood. Okay, those are pretty three big ones right there. You with me? A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. Those are six weighty things. What's the seventh one gonna be? A person who sows discord in a family. It's powerful, isn't it? False witnesses lying, a proud look, hands that shed innocent blood. And God says, but to me, the person that sows discord amongst the family, in the Hebrew here, it's, it's, it's a generic phrase. So it could be a church family. It could be your, the family in your home. It could be the family of your community. It could be the family of the workplace. God says, the person who brings discord to that place, he detests. 2 Timothy 2.24, listen to this. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is the author of all Scripture, but the person that he's using to write this is the Apostle Paul. And so when we get to Titus, right, Titus and Timothy were two of Paul's young protégés. So he writes this to Timothy, but a great partnering text to his counsel to Timothy comes in Titus 3.10. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning, and after that, have nothing to do with them. Is that in the Bible? Yep. Titus 3.10. All these notes are on our a PDF online if you want to get them. What what does that mean? It means that we're supposed to be patient and difficult with people until they cross the threshold of sowing discord and being divisive. At that point, we put down patience and we pick up correction. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It's great, isn't it? Only what is edifying and for the building up of others, it says in the King James. The civility of the church must stop deferring to and enabling the verbally violent. Let me say that again. The civility of the church must stop deferring to and enabling the verbally violent. Passion inspires, but verbal violence harms. Passion inspires. We don't want to be a passionless people. I'm passionate about things that I believe. I'm passionate about political views and social issues. I'm passionate about doctrine distinctives that we hold dear here at City Life. But at the point my passion becomes anger, it stops inspiring and it starts hurting. And sometimes the way that I think I sound is not how I actually heard by the people around me. I'm desperate for the nudging and the conviction and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'm desperate for the people around me to be a constant voice into my life to help me understand when I've gone from being passionate to being verbally violent. I have friends in my life. I hope that you do. And sometimes they've called me in our history here at the church and meetings that get tense sometimes. And they call and said, Fred, I, you know, I appreciate your passion, but I think, that was, I think you crossed the line. And then I'm coming back and apologizing to those people. If you've never had someone challenge you in that way, it might be that maybe your personality is given to where that's not a risk for you, but if you are a person in your personality and that's a risk for you and you've never had anybody challenge you in that way, I would say you need some better friends. You've got to have people in your life that aren't afraid to press you when you need to be pressed and to help you actually understand how you sound even when you think you might sound differently. I love this book. Both of these books are amazing. If you want some books to read, Blinded by Might by Cal Thomas. Listen to this quote. Whenever the church cozies up to political power, it loses sight of its all-important mission to change the world from the inside out. In blurring the lines between politics and Christianity, the religious right has traded the only power that can truly change America, the gospel's power to transform hearts. If you want to be provoked, you get this book and read it. Oh, come on, I love me some Tony Evans. Listen to what he writes here. Oneness Embraced, the series, Race, Politics. Some of you need to read both of these, more than once. (laughs) Our racial divide is a disease. Over-the-counter human remedies won't fix it. They merely mask the symptoms for a season. What we need is a prescription from the Creator to destroy this cancer before it destroys us. It is my contention, he writes, that if the church can never get this issue of oneness right, then then we can, if we can ever get this issue of oneness right, then we can help America to finally become the one nation under God that we declare ourselves to be. This is so good. When we get it right in the church house, that's when it's going to spread to the White House and beyond, Come on, Tony Evans. Until we embrace how we were born and raised, we will never be able to manifest the values of God in history so that people can understand and fully see that God is a God of multicoloredness. Let me read that again. Until we can embrace how we were born and raised, We will never be able to manifest the values of God in history so that people can understand and fully see that God is a God of multicoloredness. And I would add to this, until we can embrace how others were born and raised, we will never be able to manifest the values, and it keeps going. That's part of what racial taboo is about. It's about understanding one another. It's about building cross-cultural relationships with one another. David Platt writes this, the genius of wrong." Building the right church depends on using all the wrong people. <laughs> and it's the people that you think are wrong because they look different than you, because they sound different than you, because they have perspectives that are so different from you, you're not even sure they're going to heaven. Yeah, right? Oh, I think, I think there's going to be some prizes. What are you doing here? And they're going to go, what are you doing here? Yeah. Building the right church depends on using all the wrong people. Our two texts that we're going to really dig in for the sermon part of this series, because we've got these two big events that are embedded in here. We can push it longer if, if it comes to that, which we will do if necessary. One comes from Matthew 15, which we're going to get into tonight. Again, I don't think we're going to get all the way into it. And then the other comes out of Matthew 16. And then I'm going to talk a little bit, maybe at close, about Matthew 14. Both of these texts precede Jesus' unveiling of his grand vision, the creation of something called the church. It is not coincidental. It is not accidental that before he says, right, one of his two declarative statements of why he came was one to seek and to save the lost, and the other he said, I came to build my church. Just before he talks about building his church in that same chapter in Matthew 16, he takes on the political divide of his nation. And then in the preceding chapter in Matthew 15, he tackles racial divide. Do you think that it's an accident that he's challenging us to understand that there is racial division and there is political division? And if we we're not willing to deal with these things, then we're never going to be able to build the church that he's called us to build. My definition of harmony, I posted it this week, you've heard me say it before, harmony is not achieved through uniformity, but rather through diversity that is in perfect cooperation with one another. This series is going to tackle some of the most controversial topics, not just in churches today, but in all of society. And here at the Newport News campus, both tonight and again on November 12th, and then probably the week after that, we're going to see that 2,000 years ago, the world was struggling with matters of race and politics just as severely as we struggle today. If only the world would follow the example Jesus gave then and still gives now. We may not be able to change the whole world, but let's start with the world that's within reach for each of us, which is our own hearts. If we want to see change, then we need to be changed. If we want to see change, then we must be changed. There is a harmony, I believe, we can work to see in our lifetime. All right, Matthew 15. Oh, I love this. Some of you maybe have never paid attention to this story. It's stories like this. Sometimes you read it and go, I'm not sure that was supposed to be in the Bible. How did it get in there? Oh, but it's here. Verse 21. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. There's a lot of ways that we can have crisis in our lives. I just got to believe this has got to be one that could be at the top of the list, right? Right? It's not given to hyperbole here. She's not exaggerating her circumstance to try to get attention. This is a real, legitimate need that she has in the life of her daughter is at risk. And she's coming to Jesus because she believes that he can help. Possessed by a demon. And that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Ignores her. There are few things that are worse in this world than someone treating us as if we're not there. Then his disciples urged him, come on, Jesus, this isn't what you've been teaching us to do. We've got to help this woman. Is that what your Bible says? No. Then his disciples urged him, send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all this begging. In the Bible... And Jesus said to the woman, I'm sorry for what I said. Nope. He said, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. What's he saying? I'm not going to help you because of the color of your skin. I'm not going to help you because of the way you look, because of where you're from, because of your past, because of your history. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to help these people over here. Read this story as if Jesus is white and she's black. Read it that way, because that's what it is. Because he's Jewish and she's a Canaanite. And the racial divide and the racial struggle 2,000 years ago between these two, two groups of people was just as severe as racial divide and racial hostility that we have today. But she came and worshiped him. Come on, this woman, huh? What courage. Leading again, she said, Lord, help me. And Jesus responds, It isn't right to take food from the children, which is his ethnicity, and throw it to the dogs. Are you kidding me? In the Bible, we don't read this in children's church. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Are you kidding? At what point do you say, excuse me, what did you say to me? Because for me, that's a lot earlier on in the verses. Anybody else? How many of you are making it this far? Who Who in here? Because I know most of you and I know you're lying if your hand's up. Right? Oh, I, what, I, what did you say? Right? kneels, and worships. This woman, I'm telling you. We're going to be so far behind her in line when we get to heaven, right? Who is that way up there? Oh, that's the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, that's her. I'm living in a shed behind her house. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Healed let me share these thoughts with you it's one of those portions of scripture that challenges us it confronts us it grabs us by our theological collar and shakes us around it's one of those texts where after reading it we have a tendency to say God are you sure that was supposed to make it in to the canonized bible did Jesus really did he really say those things Did did he understand that people were watching and listening as Jesus, his own victim of not realizing the microphone was still turned on? This is what I believe. There are times when God creates scenarios for us, scenarios that deal with our own personal prejudices, our own personal biases against certain kinds of people prejudices and biases that grieve the heart of God and lead to many of the injustices found in societies throughout history. Jesus is going to do whatever it takes to draw you out. He's going to do whatever it takes to cause the biases that sometimes we don't even realize are inside of us to come out. He wants the ugliness to come out, not to shame us, but so that he can heal us And part of what stops him from being able to heal us is that we don't even realize it's in there. And one of the steps of being able to receive from him the healing that he wants to give is to recognize that we have a need to begin with, which is part of the example of the Syrophoenician woman. See, I love how here in Matthew, we're told that she's a Canaanite. But as we're going to get to in a minute, when you look in Mark chapter 7, this same story is given to us, and he gives us an extra detail. Not only is she a Canaanite, because Canaanite was a, a broad stroke ethnicity, but she was a Canaanite who was from Syrophoenicia, and that's important for us. I think sometimes we read this, and Jesus frustrates us because we realize that he gets to operate on a different set of rules than we do see if if you like to write in your bible and you should or if you've got evernote or wherever you should just write right here as part of this story don't try this at home jesus is a trained professional (laughs) this is not in any way for you to go and use this approach in dealing with other people you cannot it's not permitted because jesus is perfect he's allowed to do things that we are not because of our own imperfections Our imperfections and his perfections help us understand the inequity of the rules. You read in John chapter 7, he lies to his brothers. You read it yourself. His brothers say, are you going to the feast? He says, I'm not going. And then what does he do after they leave? He goes. Now, people don't like that. And so in some translations, they say Jesus' response is, I'm not going yet. But yet's not in there. It's not supposed to be in there. Because he gets to play by a different set of rules because he's Jesus. Because he's perfect. Part of it could be because he was just talking to his brothers and brothers like to trick each other, so maybe that's all that it's about, right? He gets to the feast and his brother's like, what are you doing here? And Jesus is like, gotcha, right? Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with theology. He was fully God, but he still had brothers and they like to do that to each other. You cannot do this in this life to draw other people out, but God is gonna do it to you. And it makes you feel like it's unfair. But because he's perfect, Because he knows how to do things like this, it's safe for him. If you were to do it, it would be manipulation. If you were to do it, it would be deceptive. If you were to do it, it would be underhanded. So we are not to do this to other people, but you should have an expectation that God is going to do this to you for the rest of your life. He's going to put you in scenarios and situations that you feel are terribly unfair because he's trying to help you see something in your heart that's got to come out. Matthew 15, 21 to 22. Let me read it again. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came pleading. Again, in Mark chapter 7, it tells us not only was she a Canaanite, but that also that she was from Syrophoenicia, from Syrian Phoenicia. Now, this is an important detail for us because... Jezebel, who was probably the most evil woman in all of the Bible, when you read about in the history of Israel in the Old Testament, guess where she was from? She was a Syrian Phoenician. So they have this long-standing hatred for people that are from this certain ethnicity within the blanket of of being a Canaanite that's been passed down (coughs) to them for centuries. Some of us have that same problem. Biases that you have, you've inherited them from generations that have come before you. The disciples are no different. And I believe that Jesus is treating this woman in this way because he's trying to help the disciples see the ugliness of their own heart. I think he's trying to draw them out. If you've never read the book Bait of Satan by John Bevere. It's another book to add to your list. He actually calls this woman a dog. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? Just because people say offensive things does not mean that we have the right to be offended. Just because people say Offensive things doesn't mean we have the right to be offended. We are the ones who pay the ultimate price because it becomes a barrier between us and God. Jesus is always teaching everybody that's in the situation all the time. He's dealing with the disciples. He's dealing with this woman. He's dealing with us who are one day going to read this thousands of years later. He's pressing the disciples. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. And he's pressing this woman. He wants her and her daughter to receive from God the healing that they're desperately crying out for and he's trying to help her and to help us to understand if you choose to be offended by the offensive things that people say, the barrier goes up and sometimes that's what stops you from receiving from God. It doesn't mean that what the person said wasn't offensive, right? That's not what we're talking about. Jesus is saying just because people say offensive things To you, you have a choice about whether or not you're going to be offended. And if you choose to be offended like this woman could have done, she walks the way and the miracle doesn't take place. All of us are going to go through this life with people saying offensive things to us. It's your decision whether or not you're going to let that word take root in your heart. Matthew 16 Verses 5 through 8. Later after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I love this. At this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Right? They think that Jesus is saying that Jesus is upset because there weren't snacks. Did you bring the bread? I didn't bring the bread. Thomas, did you bring the bread? I don't even know if we were supposed to bring bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, "Oh, you of little faith. See, sometimes when Jesus uses the word faith, he's talking about belief. But sometimes when he uses the word faith, he's talking about being a spiritually minded person. And what he's saying to the disciples there is, "Oh, you of little faith. What he's saying is, As long as I've been with you, you should be more spiritually minded than you are already today. A spiritually minded person is a person where the Holy Spirit and the character of Christ is the dominant influencer of your will. And when that's happening, you're able to see beyond the practical and the natural nature of the circumstance. And you're able to see into something deeper into the eternity that's happening in the moment. One of the beautiful things I love about this woman in this story and in this text is that she is a woman of great faith, not just because she believed that Jesus could do something miraculous for her daughter, but she was a woman of great faith because she was a spiritually minded person. She refused to be drawn in to the conflict of the racism of her day and continued continued to be transcended in the moment. And there was a great reward that came to her because of it. All right, I'm going to skip these next two and save those for next week. And I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 14. Not next week, but in two weeks. I'm going to talk about Jesus' silence, and then I'm going to talk about the miracle of the metaphor. And then in two weeks, I'm also going to talk about practical steps that we can begin to take to help with the racial divide that's in our world. And I think that's going to be a good follow-up to racial taboo. But I want to get to Matthew 14 because this is important. Have you ever noticed that in Matthew 14, let's read it. Matthew 14, verses 1 1 through 5. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. Right, So he's married to his brother's wife. I know. You can say, ooh, right there. Crazy stuff happening. John had been telling Herod it's against God's law for you to marry her. And Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because the people believed John was a prophet. All right, now let's, let's read Mark's account of this story. This is why we're given all four of the Gospels, because each one gives a, us a perspective that we need. So this comes out of Mark six, fourteen to 20. Herod Antipas the king soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him and some were saying this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead that is why he can do so many miracles others said he's the prophet Elijah and still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past verse 16 says when Herod heard about Jesus he he said John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Now, it sounds like it's the same story up until this point, doesn't it? For John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless, for Herod respected John. Isn't that interesting? Because Matthew tells us that Herod wanted to kill John, that he was angry with John, that he hated John. And the only reason why he didn't kill him because he was afraid of what the people might do. But here we get to Mark and it says that he respected him. It says that he knew that he was a good and a holy man. Listen to this. It says he protected him. And that Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so he liked to listen to him. Are you, who was responsible for editing this book? I don't know what meeting Matthew and Mark came out of, but they're not on the same page. But we know that can't be the case. Whenever you come to texts like this that seem as though the Bible disagrees with itself, we know that we're not understanding the Bible because it has many writers, but it only has one author. And I believe this story is given to us. It's profound because I believe that Matthew is giving us where Herod's heart was when it started. I think that this is given to us because Matthew is helping us to see how Herod felt towards John in the beginning. But the more they talked, the more he listened, the more time they spent together, Mark shows us the outcome. It's powerful, isn't it? That he could go from hating and despising and wanting to kill. And and let's, let's not be naive about how evil of a man he was. Right. That's why we're given this detail about how he's stolen his brother's wife and then mark says but over here he respected him protected him listened to him if his heart can change then there's not a heart in this world that cannot change if his heart can change then my heart can change and your heart can change and you know what changed his heart is that he was willing to listen to someone that he despised. What changed his heart is that he was willing to sit down and listen to someone that he hated. Someone that he wanted to kill. Someone that he wanted to destroy. Someone who was publicly saying to the rest of the world, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, but because he was willing to sit and listen to him, his heart changed. It's powerful. Are you willing to sit and listen to the people that you despise? Do you carry and conduct yourself in a way so that people who despise you, maybe because of the views that you hold, at least they're willing to listen to you because of your character? See, because if we can start to listen to each other, I'm telling you our world could be like the hearts of Herod that go from... There to hear. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Mark 6. You're going to have to wait for the plunger in a couple of weeks. I know, I know. Shameful, isn't it? Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guest. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, What should I ask for? Her mother told her, Ask for the head. Of John the Baptist. The girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said because of the vows he had made in front of his guests. So he would not refuse her. And that's how John came to his end. This is important for us. Herod was a person. Whose heart had undergone a supernatural transformation because he was willing to sit and listen to someone that he despised. But in the end, in the end, because he was willing to give in to social pressure, he was willing to do what he knew was wrong. You and I have got to begin conversations with people in this world that we don't like and we know that don't like us. We've got to do it. We've got to be willing to sit and listen. It doesn't mean that we're ultimately going to agree. It doesn't mean that everyone's views are one day going to all be the same because uniformity is not what brings harmony. What brings harmony is diversity that's in perfect cooperation with each other. But when you find yourself in situations and circumstances where your heart begins to change towards other people, what I'm saying to you is get ready because there will be social pressure that comes upon you just like it came upon Herod. It's going to come because the devil doesn't want us to stand together, even in our differences. What this series is about tonight is about talking with one another being prepared when social pressure comes and when it does, to be willing to stand alone. Stand with me. Father, as we step into the sacredness of this moment of worship, I pray, I pray that we would find courage in all of our hearts. For the situations and the circumstances that you have some of us in now, just like you had the Syrophoenician woman that you're trying to help us see the biases that are in our heart, draw it out of us, oh God. Draw it out. Father, if we find ourselves in a situation, a circumstance, where we feel like that you're treating us unfairly, help us to remember the words of that song that we've sung tonight that you can only and always be a good, good father and that we would trust your heart. Father, help us to be willing like Herod. We don't like to identify with people like Herod but that's who we are. We all have our own brokenness. We all have our own sin. We all have our own ugliness. Help us, God, to be willing to sit and listen to even people that we despise. Change our hearts. Help us to believe that there's a harmony that we can find even in the midst of our differences and that we will withstand, we will withstand any social pressure that would come that would draw us out of a place of integrity. That your Holy Spirit and the character of Christ would be the dominant influencer of our will. That we would be people of faith because we believe for the things that are impossible and because you always find us to be spiritually minded people. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.